0: Should the cubs keep christopher morrell should they sell him while his value is high we're going to talk about that and so much more here on the setup man podcast hey merry christmas couple days away here really excited to spend it with family i hope you've got some big plans as well hey welcome into the setup man podcast where we're talking all things chicago cubs my name is kyle stanley Real estate investor in California, been a lifelong Cubs fan, and now following my passions for the Chicago Cubs, doing this podcast, having fun with it. If you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, we have a lot of fun content there as well. Setupman.net is where you can find everything, setupman.net. Uh, I also did a in-depth YouTube video about this situation with Christopher Morel, and actually showed you how he may be the second coming of Nolan Arenado. Go watch that. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You can go find that at setupman.net or you can check it out on the YouTube channel, which is in the description on the show notes on your podcast platform. So I want to start really quick with this show with a quote from Jordan Bastian. He's the Cubs beat writer for MLB.com. He was on my last episode. And here's what Jordan said about Christopher Morrell.
1: I think he's in the lineup. I think he's on this team on opening day. I, I think at this point I'd be surprised If he was traded, I I think if they had gotten Shohei Otani, I think he became more expendable because of the positional question marks. Um, I think once you don't get Shohei Otani and the roster becomes more of a, again, we keep kind of going back to moving parts. When the roster now is functioning back in that way again, I think you got to keep him. I think he's whether he's DHing or or playing third base I think this is a really exciting young player with a bunch of years of control and whether he's swinging and missing or launching a home run, this is a guy you pay a ticket to come watch. And I think at this point, just if you try and put the fan cap on, if you miss on Otani and miss on now, and then you trade one of the fan favorites, I just think that's a huge yeah. blow. I think I'm sure if I were a Cubs fan in the year 2024, Who am I buying a ticket to come watch? I think he's near or at the top of that list just because of the energy and the excitement. Uh, You just got to deal with the 30% strikeout rate in the process.
0: All right, so let's talk about this. Chris Morrell, you either love him or you only love him when he's playing well. I don't know how you can hate the guy because... He's literally got the most infectious personality of anyone you've ever seen. I, I feel like he's my best friend, and I've never even talked to the guy, right? Like, I feel like if I went up to Christopher Morel and said, Chris, he's probably going to be like, hey, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to hug you anyway. And that's that's like the definition of someone who makes you just all warm and fuzzy feeling inside. So I think that's why the Cubs fans, and including myself, fell in love with him right from the first at bat of his career. Here's a 3-2. That is hammered! Left
1: field! Oh, my goodness! (laughs) Why not?
0: (laughs) 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 Got a touch first, Christopher Morrell. Oh, my! Side note, if you don't remember, that was also the first game that Brandon Hughes pitched in, his Major League debut, so that was just like a major win for Chicago Cubs and their organization that night. Then you had this last year, the walk-off home run against the Chicago White Sox, where he's sprinting around the bases, taking off his shirt. I'm not even sure if he saw where he was running for about 45 feet at the time because he was having trouble getting his jersey off. And every other time you look at him, he's high-fiving someone, he's hugging someone. I think it was C.B. Buckner. I can't remember which umpire like looked at him weird. And then didn't end up high-fiving him even though he was trying to before the game started. He was just like, nah, I'm not touching you. <laughs> I was just like, okay, you're not cool. If And I think it was C.B. Buckner. I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. But already I'm not a huge C.B. Buckner fan. But I I get that fans, though, would struggle with Christopher Morell because of how streaky he is. So just a few stats. First 12 games of this year, 388 average, OPS of 1,423, a 1,423 OPS in 12 games, nine home runs in his first 12 games of the season. If you remember, he was down in AAA for a good five weeks, just setting the world on fire down there. And we were like, why is he still in AAA? Meanwhile, David Ross is like, there's just no regular uh, spot in the lineup for him. And then, boom, hits nine home runs in his first 12 games. You find a spot for someone like that in the lineup. But then the next 15 games, he hit 152 with an OPS of 533. So you're starting to see, okay, kind of like what JD says on uh, the Cubs podcast or on the Cubs broadcast is, you're never quite as good as the hot streaks, but you're never quite as bad as the cold streaks. So somewhere in the middle there is where he's supposed to be. And that's about what July looked like. He hit 291 with a 790 OPS. I will take a – honestly – 291 is great I don't even expect Christopher Morrell to be a 291 hitter I think that in his career as he progresses he's going to be a 250 to 260 maybe 270 hitter that 790 OPS is a little lower than I like to see it I would love to see him in the eights but that was kind of in my eyes July was like okay that's the Christopher Morrell I expect but then his final two 42 games of the season. He only hit 191, and so you're just kind of left with this sour taste in your mouth of like, oh man, like, and he kind of did the first, the same thing in 2022, so, you know, when trade talks start to pop up about Christopher Morrell, which is exactly what we were talking about and what what Jordan Bastion mentioned, because of that sour taste that was left in my mouth, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, he's... He's great at some times, but really the real him kind of showed in the last 42 games of the year because that's what happened the, the season before as well. And you go back and forth, and and honestly, I had to really sit down and think about when I first heard that Christopher Morrell might get traded, I I said to myself basically, well, what's he getting traded for, right? And there was talks of Juan Soto, hell yeah, straight up. Juan Soto for Christopher Morel and maybe a top 100 prospect that the Cubs have, I'll do that all day long. Christopher Morrell for Pete Alonso, okay. Um, you know, there's a lot more control when it comes to Christopher Morrell. He's not a free agent until after 2028, which is huge value for the Cubs. Meanwhile, Pete Alonso is in his last year of a contract. You hate to see him have the same kind of year as last year. I think Alonso hit like 217 or something like that. He still hit over 40 five bombs somewhere in that area. But if you get that same kind of season from him and then you've lost literally four or five years of control of Christopher Morrell and Christopher Morrell goes off to be an all-star in two of the next or three of the next five years, you feel like you got the short end of the stick, unless you got a, a hometown discount for Alonzo to be able to extend that contract. Kind of like what the the Dodgers did with glass now, but I wouldn't call that a discount. That was crazy money. Uh, for a guy who's never pitched over 120 innings was just wild to me. But, you know, so the the Christopher Morel for Pete Alonso, you really have to... That's an arm wrestle to me. It's It's just I'm not quite there. But there's a lot of value in the fact that you can now fill in a first-base spot that has been a hole ever since Anthony Rizzo left. Meanwhile... Christopher Morrell doesn't have a defined position. Everyone wants him to play third base, but you can tell that the organization doesn't want him to play third base. There's something about Christopher Morel, and third base that Jed Hoyer and the front office have said, no, it's not going to happen. And you look at his next best position, and actually probably his best position is second base. Nico Horner is a now gold glove second baseman. He's not moving anywhere else. He would probably be a gold glove third baseman, but we're not going to play that game because he doesn't have enough power to play third base. Then you look in the outfield and you know you got all these guys coming up in Alcantara and you've got Canario, you've got PCA, you've got Hap, you've got Suzuki, you've got all these guys, not to mention Owen Casey. So it's a log jam in the outfield. And they said, okay, we're gonna play him at first base in the Dominican League. And then they didn't do that. They said Jed Hoyer said they're they're exclusively going to play him at first base and they, how much control Jed Hoyer has over that I'm not quite sure but then he played only third base and a little bit of shortstop and made four errors in like 12 games or something like that which is not good. And so you really start to look at well on this team the only spot that he could potentially go is DH first base but he needs to prove that he can play first base. To quote Ron Washington in Moneyball, not played by Ron Washington, but when Chris Pratt uh, says how hard is first base, he says incredibly hard. (laughs) I I think before that it was Brad Pitt saying it's not that hard. And then Ron Washington says it's incredibly hard. So you can't just slot someone at first base and be like, yeah, that's fine because that's not a difficult spot. It's a really difficult spot. So where does he play? And the only spot to me right now is, is obviously DH. But then, if he's DH, where I really want to see Canario play. I really want to see Canario and PCA play. There's so many unanswered questions right now, which is why this is a really difficult question to ask right now, is should we keep Christopher Morrell? And here's where I'm at. If you re-sign Bellinger and you have PCA in center field, if PCA is not developing, okay, we can slot Bellinger over to center field. If we don't have a first baseman, okay, keep Bellinger at first base. Morrell did not impress in center field, but at the very least, center field to me at Wrigley Field is, there's a lot more difficult center fields to play. There's not a ton of room. It's, it's got the short porch in left center. It's got normal depth in right center. So there's less re- less ground to cover. The wall, the Ivy sucks, but maybe Morrell can get... He's so athletic and has such a strong arm. Can we maybe consider just while PCA needs a little bit more development, can Morrell at least fill in a spot in center field that isn't the worst center field in the world to play it's you know on the sunny days it can be really difficult really right field i think is the toughest at that ballpark hey setup nation i'm taking a quick break to ask you a favor i know it's annoying when an ad pops up right in the middle of an interview or a podcast but hear me out this show is an absolute passion for me but i don't just do it for me i do it for you too and that's why i want to hear from you please either a leave a review with your favorite part of this show or b Please email me your feedback. My goal is to make this show as solid as possible, so I want to give you the content that you are craving. You can send that email to kyle at setupman.net. Again, that's kyle at setupman.net. Thanks so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. So there's that situation. Okay, but what if you don't sign Bellinger? Okay, then you've got Canario. Canario can potentially do that same maneuvering with PCA in center field. Um, and then you've got options for Morrell at first base in DH and maybe third base. So there, there becomes a little bit more opportunity for Morrell if Bellinger or a Hoskins, uh, doesn't get signed, but let's just look at this, the real actual facts of this whole thing. I've already mentioned that he's not a free agent until 2028. He hit 26 home runs. And 4-29 and at-bats last year. That's a home run every 16.6 at-bats, which if you put him in a full season, is flirting with 40 home runs. And I think a big part of why he had such an evolution in his power this year was that he finally learned how to hit an off-speed pitch, especially a slider. The energy we already talked about is completely infectious. And not to mention that Jed has pretty much proven this offseason that he does not want to spend more money at the moment. So with all of those things combined, especially, 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 the heaviest thing for me is the control until 2028. And then after 2028, he's a free agent. And the fact that he made major improvements, he focused on what he needed to improve on over the off season and made those improvements, which by the way, we keep hearing that PCA, Pete Crow Armstrong is that kind of guy too. I would like to see the Cubs give Morrell one more year but a full year and say you're in the starting lineup, 150 out of 162 games. Let's see what you can really do. We'll figure out the position thing. We'll, we'll put you in center when we want to give someone a day off. We'll put you at first base when we want to give someone a day off. We'll put you at third base when we feel like we need more power than Madrigal being the contact guy. There, I think that creates a lot of opportunity. Craig Council even said that. He said, I see that as a benefit that – Christopher Morel can play so many different positions, not not a hindrance. So I think if they can do that for one full season and at the very least just play him at DH. Uh Cody with CHEO podcast said, I don't want to ever see Morel at DH. I understand that because he's better in the field, uh, or he's better at bat when he plays in the field. The numbers show that when he DHs, he doesn't do as well. And he is a straight up athlete. With that arm strength, he should not be just a DH, but when you can't control it, Right? Like, uh, what was it, Dylan Maples? He had the nastiest stuff, but he couldn't control it. So where? when's the last time you heard his name? So that's where I'm at on, on Morrell. If, at the very least, he can at least get 150 starts and half of those are at DH, let's just see what he's worth. So Jed, going back to the whole thing of him not spending, you know, the lack of control becomes even that much more of a worry. If you give up Morrell for an Alonzo or someone else, and you give up that control. Now you've got more payroll problems. Right now, the Cubs are paying at least sixteen hundred million dollars to Hendricks, Tyone, Suzuki, Hap, and Swanson. Okay, uh, the most, of course, being Swanson at twenty-five million. To put it in perspective, the year that the Cubs won the World Series, because we love comparing to the twenty sixteen World Series, payroll that year was one hundred seventy-one million dollars. And the top five payroll guys were John Lester at 25 million, Jason Hayward at 21 million, number three, John Lackey at 16 million, Miguel Montero, that threw me for a loop. I didn't realize that was at 14 million. And I totally forgot that Edwin Jackson was on the payroll still in 2016. He was at 12 and a half million. So if you look at including inflation, right, that's a pretty similar combined top five. John Lester today, that 25 million would probably be 30 million but that would be the only person making the most beyond Dansby Swanson. Uh, it, that's a pretty balanced top five compared to today's top five. And then after that, it dramatically drops off in both both years that we're talking about, 2024 and 2016. Uh, but if that's the case, that just tells you that, hey, same owner as 2016, probably saying Jed, we already are at the same kind of payroll as we were when we won the World Series in 2016. I need you to go and, and deal with the guys that you've got or trade away some of those contracts, which the only thing I could ever see them doing right now is trading away Hap uh, because they have so much outfield talent coming up. That's the only thing I can see, but that's probably not going to happen for another year or two. Um, so unless the Cubs are willing to get uncomfortable and spend a little bit more, Morrell, he needs to stay on this team. That's the fact of the matter. And I don't care if he's playing every day at DH, at first base, splitting time at center field, playing every day at third base. Heck, try him at catcher. <laughs> we we just got Jorge Alfaro. What if we have a situation where just like, what was that, 2021 or 2022 when uh, all the catchers were getting injured and it was like we went through eight catchers? Try him at catcher if you're going through that kind of season again. But for, for now, he needs to stay on the team. They need to give him a full year. They need to give him a real shot. And when he struggles, don't take him down and sit him down on the bench. Put him, put him in there. Let's see what he's got. And especially, and this is what we talk about, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this recently when we talk about, you know, what's the potential, what's the best case scenario, what's the worst case scenario. If Morrell is a guy that can go in there and not perform at top peak all the time, and you're okay with that because you've surrounded him with other great players like re-signing Cody Bellinger, like signing Reese Hoskins, right? And then you suddenly say, hey, it's okay that Morel isn't playing that well because we've got those guys on the team, and the, the offense is better than last year. That gives him a little less pressure, bat him down, you know, around the 7, 8 hole consistently when he's playing well up at 5 or 6, but when he's not playing so well, drop him down a little bit, and don't he doesn't have to have so much pressure. But that comes down to the front office actually making those moves, and I don't know that that's going to happen. So now they're just at this point, you feel like there's either going to be a trade, and hopefully it doesn't involve Morrell, maybe involves someone else, or it's going to be that kind of pressure for Morrell. Either way. I'm excited to see him get a lot more than I think it was 429 plate appearances this last year. I want to see 600 plate appearances. I want to see what we can do with that. I think 40 home runs is in there, and that is that. But Devil's Advocate, that's a lot of trade value, ton of trade value. Five years of control. Five years. 2024 to 2028. It's five years. That's a lot of control. So could you say, hey, We've got this guy who's probably going to be an all-star three of the next five years. Give us both Shane Bieber, Josh Naylor, and Emmanuel Classe. Maybe Morel Plus. I don't know. Uh, Ben Brown. Would you say no to that? That's tough to say no to. Fills three spots that the Cubs need very badly, whereas right now the only spot that Morel fills is a question mark. So that's the devil's advocate side, but that's as far as I'm going to go with that. All right, that's going to do it right now for the Setup Man podcast. I'm Kyle Stanley. We'll see you next time for now. I'm going to go put my arm on ice.